If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you there? Hope you are enjoying this summer. Hope you're taking your hauls soon or you're just chilling out. You enjoyed last week's fine weather. Who knows? We might even get a proper August. How are you, John? I'm very good. Do you know what? I'm still laughing at the, and maybe I shouldn't, but I am. Our friend. It's going to be funny. <laughs> our Bolsonaro friend in Brazil. What about our Bolsonaro friend in Brazil? He was taken to the hospital. Was he? He was taken to the hospital because he's had hiccups for the last 10 days. Solid. Seriously. No way. Seriously. Did he not try the, drinking the glass of water upside yeah, down? Yeah. And give him a fright and all that kind of stuff. He's had really bad hiccups for over 10 days now. And they had to take him to the hospital. I just think that's hilarious. But you know, if you actually, have you ever had bad hiccups? No, I don't think so. It's really, really, really disturbing. <laughs> no, it is. It actually gets on top of you. And then, of course, you have to drink. Have you ever have you tried the drinking the glass of water? Oh, yeah, the, I've tried all It actually works. Things. It's uh, amazing. No. I swear to Jesus, it does work. <laughs> it looks really weird, right? Because you've got to get the water. You've got to get the water. You've got to get the water. You've got to put your chin down. You've got to kind of soak the water from your top lift. And then it hits the top of your roof of your mouth and it slivers down the other way. For whatever, it actually does work. It does work. You know, because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a great look. You do a wine. Well, you probably get it from wine. Oh <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You get it from wine. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you see that John and I are involved in the intricacies of global economics. These are the things that keep us going. Bolsonaro's hiccups and things. Oh, there's such trivia on the Dave McGuinness podcast. Now, I want to talk about the global economy. Go on. Because in a way, we're kind of having. Look, we've had the opening up. We're sort of halfway through the year. Right. Yeah. And this is the year that is the economy going to work? Is it not going to work? Yeah. Everything's what's the up impact? In the air at the what's moment. the impact of the pandemic? La la la. All that sort of stuff. As I years ago, I called it a pandemic. It's yes. a recession brought about by a pandemic. So it's not a recession in the traditional way. It's something different. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Paul Donovan, chief economist of UBS. Yeah. He's talking to clients all over the world. He's watching all the data. He's going to. Brilliant worldview. Let's go to London, talk to Paul. And our idea is, it's a sort of like a midterm report. What's going on <laughs> yeah. with the global economy? What have we learned? What's going on? What's the difference between the US and China and all these places? And when we get out of this, finally, 
what will be the consequences? What will be the legacy of the pandemic? So let's go and talk to Paul in London. Paul, how are you? I'm very well, David. Yourself? I'm in a flying form, actually, in great form. We're we're in an uncharacteristic heat wave here in Ireland, uh, which means that everyone takes their clothes off. And given our melanin-deficient skin, we all end up with fourth-degree burns in A&E. You know, so I think that if if COVID hasn't filled up our hospitals, A&E, I think sunburn will. But it's been, we're in great form. I'm flying form. Listen, Paul, let's get straight into it. The world economy, you're talking to clients all the time. You're talking to people who manage money. You're talking to people who manage their wealth. People are watching this, the minutiae. Let's take a wee bit of altitude away from the all the uh, the headlines for the weeks, the newspapers and on Twitter and everything. What do you think is going on? Give me, the, give me your feel for going, for what the world economy is at and where we're going. Well, I'm going to start by agreeing with you, David, which which is a turn up. Yeah, um, actually. So, so the language that you were using, I think, is exactly right. We didn't have a recession last year. The economy shut down, and we haven't had a recovery. The economy's opened back up again. This is a very different thing. And one of the big problems we've had over the last eighteen months is people have been trying to squeeze the pandemic into a classic recession recovery cycle. It just doesn't fit. Very, very different situation. So we sort of gradually emerged from the pandemic with a number of things. We've had um, more savings in the economy than normal. That's very uncharacteristic in a recession recovery cycle. We've had more businesses. Businesses were created during the pandemic. A lot of people setting up side hustles and so on and so forth. Again, very, very unusual. So it's creating all of these distortions and we've got very messy data as a result. But the bottom line is um, the economies that are lifting restrictions, particularly in the developed world, are basically coming back on stream pretty quickly. And we've got consumer-led growth because the money that was saved during the pandemic, we, we couldn't go out, you couldn't do anything. You were sat at home, online shopping, yes, but that was about it. That money saved in that period is now being put to work in the economy. Very distinct pattern. In the first phase, you spend it on stuff. You buy goods. Yep. And then in the second phase, you want to have fun. Okay. Buying a new washing machine is not fun. Going out for drinks with friends and family is fun. So what I say is that the, the spending now, as we come into this second phase, the US is there, the UK is there, Europe's a little bit behind, but it's getting in that general direction. The The money that we're spending uh, has to pass the Instagram test. People okay. will spend money on things that they can then post about on Instagram afterwards. So that's going out, entertainment, holidays if you're allowed to take them, and new clothes. And that's pretty much it. So yeah, we're doing all right, basically. So the first lesson is do not, and this is very important, do not look at a classic bust, recession, recovery cycle, because that's not what we're talking about. Absolutely. And this is why, for so long, the data was coming in stronger than expected, stronger than expected, because the market consensus, you know, the the pontificating classes are all coming up with these models which are saying, well, in a recession, this is what happens, and it's it's not what happens. So the data's come up stronger than expected. What's also been very interesting is, of course, statisticians, when they come up with these numbers, everyone thinks, oh, that's GDP, that's it. No, it's not. GDP is largely guesswork. Most of these numbers are largely guesswork. You're absolutely right. By the way, we we do have to reveal this because uh, Paul and I spent, first of all, when I worked in the central bank, I worked on the economic model for the Irish economy, which, which did at certain stage amount to counting cranes on the skyline of Dublin and having a hundred, <laughs> sticking your finger in the air, talking to people and saying, okay, 
you know, three, two and a half percent, et cetera. And then Paul and I worked in this big thing. Do you remember those javelin models we used to work on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because garbage in, garbage out models. You'd put in all your bits and pieces and plop, out would come a figure of GDP and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. it is guesswork, but slightly educated guesswork. That's just slightly educated guesswork. So let's go back to this idea. So I just that was just a bit of a side for people. Those of us who have actually been sausage makers know how these things are made. And I think it was somebody famous said, you don't really want to know how sausages are made as long as you understand or appreciate the taste of them. I think that was referring to politics, but I think GDP modeling could be the, exactly the same. So Paul, we're talking about, it's not a typical recession. That's the first thing, right? Second thing is, I like your Instagram test. This is a very interesting one. So you're saying that people spend initially on big white goods, and then we spend on frivolous good stuff, the stuff we like. Yeah, and it's human nature because you, you've been sat at home in lockdown You've got nothing to do except stare at your tatty three-piece suite and watch home makeover programs on Netflix. What's the very first thing you're going to do as soon as you get out of the house? You're going to go and renovate and, and you know, finally redo the kitchen or whatever it is. But then after that, as the fear comes down and the restrictions come down, it's got to be both. I mean, consumers got to feel comfortable about going out again and the fear level comes down, but you've also got to lift the restrictions. Then that's it. People are going out and spending money on having fun. And it's creating really weird seasonal behavior. Okay, so, tell me about that. Well, so this is one of the, one of the big things, of course, that you know, people do different things at different times of year. But, but the pandemic sort of thrown that all in the air because you know, come April, we were lifting restrictions here in the UK. Was I down my village pub, sitting outside, shivering in two pullovers and a coat, having a, a pint? Yes, of course I was, because it was the first time in months I'd been able to do that. Now, I wouldn't normally be going and sitting outside my pub in April under any circumstances. But because you could, you did. You did and yeah. so, of course, that's, I, I'm doing summer-style spending in, 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 the, know, in a bitterly in, in, in cold a, April. Yes, okay. Um, so that's, that's a, that, again, is throwing up uh, all sorts of quirks. We're seeing it in lots and lots of areas of the data. Retailers don't have inventory because they've not been buying during pandemics. There's nothing in the warehouses, which is creating you know, uh, disruptions in the supply chain and uh, fewer sales in the summer season. Normally, you know, they're desperate to clear out their warehouses in the summer. They're not doing that now. All sorts of quirks. Really, really interesting to, to be looking at, but actually quite complicated to explain all the little nuances that are going on because we've got so many unusual factors happening all at once. So when we take the bird's eye view, and I, I want to go around the houses, I want to go to the States, I want to go to Europe, UK, but when we take the bird's eye view, something very profound is happening, which is the what you would call the balance of policy between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is back in, government spending is back in, in big, big style. So that's the really, is that, would you say, is that the dominant, is that the dominant change we should be aware of that in previous cycles, what usually happened as the economy recovered, the governments were very, very quick to try and rein in the spending that they'd spent during the recession to balance the books and then look forward. That's not happening. Is that no. what, what else should we be looking at? As, as well, coming? I mean, the whole pandemic was a fiscal policy issue. I mean, let's face it, last year, what happened? Governments took your money away. Doesn't matter whether you're a, you know, an employee or a business. Governments are saying no, you can't go out and earn money. Yeah. And if you don't want economic bedlam to follow, governments have got to give you the money back again, which they did through furlough schemes or enhanced unemployment benefits in the United States grants to businesses. 
this wasn't about the cost of borrowing money, which is, of course, the central bank's domain. Normally, in a recession recovery scenario, the cost of credit is actually a pretty important situation. But this wasn't about credit. It didn't matter how much credit you had. It didn't matter how low interest rates were. You still couldn't go out and spend money because you were shut at home in a lockdown and there was nowhere to go. So with that, this was very, very much a fiscal situation. And as we come out of it, I think it remains a fiscal situation. The credit cycle is, is fine. Don't really care about that. It's really the fiscal policy that's the dominant issue at the moment. Okay, so let's go region by region. Let's look at the states. What do you think is going on in the US? Because they, so the they, U- they've come back really quickly. I mean, the economy in the yeah. UK, or the US, sorry, has surged back, I think, quicker than anybody expected, probably as a result of all these quirks and oddities that you were talking about a minute ago. What do you think, looking forward, so the US, I think, has been very interesting that we, we've uh, seen different states opening up at different times, which has been actually quite good as sort of a case study. You, know, you compare Texas, which opened up very early, to New York, which dragged its feet. Fear level is generally very low. You can tell this by sort of analyzing social media, these big data analysis of the language used on Twitter and things like that. People are generally you know, pretty confident. And we've had this classic spending pattern. First, you're spending on... Uh, goods, then you're spending on services. Employment has come back particularly quickly. Uh, So we have seen strong employment growth, but there does still seem to be some frictional unemployment. That is to say, people aren't necessarily in the right place. And, you know, think about it. I mean, look at the UK as an example, as a a parallel case. If you're working as a a sandwich maker at Pret-a-Manger in in the city in London, you're no longer getting the benefit of my custom because I'm not in my office yeah. in London. Yeah. My village pub may be short of staff, but you know, a, a sandwich maker from Pradamonje in London is not going to commute two hours for a minimum wage job in the middle of Wiltshire. So you're, you're seeing some of these frictions come in, and that's an issue. One of the other things that we have been saying as well, which we, we need to try and get a better handle on, is there has been a process of automation. So fast food restaurants, for example, you, you, you order your Starbucks over a, an app. You don't deal with a human being until the the barista actually hands you the coffee. Reduced staffing, and and we're not really sure how this is all going to play out. But the US has had a very robust recovery. I think it it obviously slows. The the sugar high of spending those savings, spending those stimulus checks, that's fading, obviously. But you're still going to have, I think, very solid growth because the employment situation is such that households have income, and you know, you give an American money, they will go to the shopping they mall will. and spend yeah, it. They spend it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the nature of the creature. Let me, before we go to Europe, let me go to Asia, because Asia is very unusual in the sense that they've had a totally different pandemic experience to us. Yep. What's going on there? Asia, I think, is, is very interesting, because whereas in Europe, UK, US, for the most part, people didn't lose that much income during the pandemic. And that's why everyone accumulated savings, because the government took your income away and then gave it back to you. In Asia, it's a slight exaggeration, but in Asia, generally speaking, governments took your money away and that was it. They didn't give it back. There isn't the advanced welfare states in most Asian economies that there is in in Europe and the United States and the UK. So what happened was, if you were middle class, you still have your regular income coming in because you're getting a monthly salary. And that meant that you behaved much like Americans and Europeans did. You save money and then you splurge. Yeah. So 
Hermes, the luxury scarf maker, had the best day ever in their history in their Shanghai store the day Shanghai reopened. No because way. Because all there with their accumulated savings. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're, if you forgive the, the rather British terminology, but if you're a working class individual, you're lower income, you're, you're, you're being paid a weekly wage, you don't go to work, you don't get paid. You're living on your savings. You're drawing down yeah. on your savings. Exactly the reverse of what's happened elsewhere. And so the result of that is that this group come out of the pandemic and they're rebuilding their savings. They're not spending. So what That's we've seen in Asia... Okay, okay. So, we're, so, the, so the, the, the poor people are trying to rebuild their savings. They're not splurging at all. Yep. Okay, interesting. And what are we that, seeing then? That, well, that, that, of course, means that the domestic demand side in Asia isn't so good. I mean, it's been okay, and the middle class are there as well. The middle class are you know, uh, spending money. But the domestic demand side has been weaker. And what Asia has been relying on is exporting goods to Europe, the United States, UK, as we open up and everyone's deciding they need to redo their living room. So we're back to square one, really, you know, in terms of the West dragging the Asians out of recession by our spending I'm just what I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking the politics of this because I'm I'm interested in what, what Biden's much more abrasive approach to China than I think anybody expected, and, yeah. and I'm just thinking how this this analysis feeds into that. How, how does that play out? Well, I mean, I think the thing is that this is a this is a short term assistance to Asia, and the Chinese are very very cognizant of the fact that they need to boost their domestic demand. So I think we will be seeing. Uh, and we, we are seeing some measures already, we will see further measures to try and ensure domestic demand does okay in China or in other parts of Asia where possible. So Biden's policy, I think, is a bit more for the long term, raises some interesting questions about the long term. I don't think it's going to stop the export flow anytime soon. So what we now hopefully will be seeing is Asia will be boosting its domestic demand. Partly that's just natural. You know, savings have been rebuilt. And partly there'll be a policy push in that direction. But it's quite important that that domestic demand does come on stream. Because, of course, if I'm no longer buying a washing machine, I'm off down the village path. Yeah. You're not buying anything from China. That's not going to help China. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go, let's go to, to Europe. What, 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 are you, what are you seeing there? And I'm just talking about the Eurozone in general. Yes. Well, so Europe, of course, has been lagging behind. It's sort of two steps behind the US and one and a half steps behind the UK in terms of the reopening because the vaccine rollout was was that much delayed. And so we haven't seen the full transition to spending that passes the Instagram test. We're still sort of in a mix of, of the good spending and then some areas we're seeing a shift towards services, but it's still quite cautious at this stage. Parts of Europe also do have the problem that the way things are looking we're going to have to write off another tourism season. And that matters if you're Greece, if you're Spain, if you're Italy, if you're Portugal. Sort of matters a bit if you're France. Germany doesn't care. Germany is a, is a tourism importer that say more Germans go overseas than foreigners visit Germany. Same thing actually with the UK. So the tourism industry has got some problems and we're lagging behind. But essentially the fundamental story, tourism aside, is the same. It's just happening three to six months later. So what's going to happen, I think, is that Europe's growth this year is going to be distinctly lower than the Anglo-Saxon countries. Yeah. But the Eurozone's growth next year will be higher than the Anglo-Saxon countries. If you average it out over the two years, 
it'll be it about the looks same. Looks pretty much the same. Full, exactly. When, 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 we were, when we were in the trenches together, we rarely, although I did migrate off to emerging markets, which is always the refuge of all the scandals in the city. But uh, let, me, let me talk to you about Africa. And I want to talk to you about the Middle East as well, your, your sense of that, because I know you're talking to people from all over the world all the time. Africa, the big imponderable, the continent that will have more people in it than I, I think the statistic is by 2080, four in 10 humans will be Africans on the planet. What do you see there? What are you seeing there? What, what, you know, when the pandemic lifts, when the dust settles, tell me your sense of Africa. Africa is going to be, uh, I think, an interesting area. It presents obviously a lot of opportunity. It also presents a lot of risks. And here... What we're seeing, I think, uh, which is going to be very important for for sub-Saharan Africa, is the fact that the pandemic has accelerated some of these big structural changes, the fourth industrial revolution stuff, which were going to take place anyway, but they're taking place a lot faster. So things like outsourcing, that's probably not going to be a, a strong feature of the next 20 years. It was never going to be a strong feature. But actually, the process of localizing production is going to happen earlier. Now, that presents some opportunities for Africa because you can make things in Africa for the African market. But it also presents challenges. One of the things which scares me most is when I hear politicians say, we're going to be the next China. No one's going to be the next China. China's model for the last 30 years, fantastically successful, absolutely will not work in the next 20 years. It's completely the wrong model to be following because China made its its money by being a link in long, complicated supply chains and we're shrinking the supply chains and simplifying them. So there is a, there's a potential for misdirection, which, which really needs to be guarded against. And that, that I think is going to be one of the big challenges as we, as we look ahead. Can I, can I come back to you? I'm just going to back, come back to you on, on Africa. You know, one thing that struck me over the years is, you know, you, you have this made in Japan, made in Hong Kong. Originally, it was made in Britain. When I was a kid, almost everything in our house was made north of Watford. Now, nothing in our house is made north of Watford, right? And it was made in Germany, right? That was, and it still is very much the case. My point is that that brand made in is the manufacturing powerhouse of any country. And I'm not sure I know any example of any country that has got rich without manufacturing. In fact, Ireland imported manufacturing by Intel and Pfizer and all those. We kind of we just we just said, okay, we know industry, but we need it. So every country needs a manufacturing base to to grow from. Are you telling me that that sort of migration of the manufacturing base, which has been a facet of everything since the Industrial Revolution in the UK, has stopped? That sort of you know we we shunt on you know manufacturing shunts from location to location to location. And, and, and therein is the dynamism of growth for those regions. I think that it's, it's less likely to carry on doing that. Okay. Um, and you know, it, the, this is the, it's actually one of the great advantages of the fourth industrial revolution, because ultimately it makes us more efficient, economically and environmentally efficient. And the two are very intimately linked, as you know. But think about it. 10 years ago, 70% of entertainment, so films, TV, music, games, was sold in physical form. 70% was sold in physical form. Today, nobody buys stuff in physical form. When was the last time you bought a compact disc? You, oh, my nieces 10 years ago, disc, 15 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Yeah. My nieces think a compact disc is what you put a drink on top of. Yeah, um, it's a poster. You know, it, it, exactly. 
And so what you've done there, of course, is the ultimate in localization. You know, you're streaming, you're producing music or entertainment or whatever it is in your home. It's the ultimate local production. But then also with robotics and automation, a lot of these industries which were over the last uh, 30 years frantically searching for the next lowest cost labor destination, they're now starting to say, actually, you know what, 100 workers and 100 robots in New York, and we can replace 5,000 people in Shenzhen. And so we're already seeing this in some industries like uh, fast fashion clothing, which traditionally has been very labor intensive, always yes. going out to the cheapest locations. Actually, that's starting to come back because it's a lot more efficient to be almost producing on demand. And I you know, that's look the, at the, my, sort of, the sort of Zara model, isn't it? Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. But, it, um, but it's, it's going actually very, very broad now. And it's going in two ways. Either you are mass producing on demand close to your customer base. So you don't have long lead times. And if the weather changes, you change demand. So, you know, every Irish store at the moment, I'm sure, is is stocking in t-shirts and shorts for the for the summer spring in, in um, inappropriately you know. tight in all areas as well I've exactly yeah. uh, and you know for the next... that's just john across the way <laughs> <laughs> so for, for the next 48 hours all anyone in ireland is going to want to do is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. is strip off exactly yeah. but then next week you'll all be back to you know raincoats and, and yeah. thick pullovers so you can vary the, the the supply a lot more and then the other thing that you're doing towards is customized uh, and you're seeing this more and more. You you say, okay, these are my measurements. Make me a T-shirt that fits me exactly, or fits the the image I think my body is. You, you yeah. depends how honest you are in your measurements. Um, and that's what they're doing. So you're you're seeing this localization come through. And I think this comes in more and more over time. I think about my wardrobe now. I mean, again, 10, 15 years ago, most of my casual clothes would have been you know, made in Asia somewhere. I don't think that's the case now. Most of them are made in the UK or, or at the very least in Europe. Okay, let's let's leave our, our sartorial uh, elegance, the pair of us, and our discussions about ill-fitting and tight-fitting T-shirts, Johnny Boy and Paul. Let's conclude with the UK. Again, the UK, you know, for our audience, the UK is still the biggest. It's, it's not our biggest export market. And actually, it's actually dwindled a lot, but it's, it's, our, it's the big presence in this, in this neighbourhood you're the big boy knocking around. You still are. What's going on over there? The UK has has come back very well, generally speaking. We do have a problem with the data. So the UK calculates GDP differently to almost every other country on Why the planet. Why does that not surprise me? And so the, the, the UK argument is, well, we do it better than everybody else. Yeah, naturally. And, and actually, there <laughs> like, is a Like certain, the way you take penalties. <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain amount of validity to this. Um, so, for example, in the UK, the value of education is calculated by the number of students being educated. In Ireland and in Europe and America, the value of education is calculated by how much you pay your teachers. So that is if you have a situ yeah. So if you have a situation where the schools are closed down, the teachers are still being paid, but you've gone into lockdown or you, you've got home tuition, the students aren't in school. So the value of education in the UK collapses. Value of education in Europe doesn't change. So this is actually it's it's creating havoc with international comparisons. If you actually say, okay, let's let's forget the numbers, let's look at what's really going on in the economy, it's actually doing 
pretty well. And the UK does have a couple of key advantages throughout the pandemic. So the first is it's a lot easier to work from home in the UK than almost any other country in the world. Why is that? Well, I can do my job perfectly well from home. You know, I can write research, I can have calls with clients, I can do TV, I can even do podcasts from you home. You can even do podcasts, absolutely. Even beamed into podcasts. the basement, then beamed into the basement <laughs> in Dunleary. Go on. Exactly. So, so it's very easy for me to work home. Quite difficult to build a BMW in your front garden. <laughs> I take your point. So, so the, because the, the, the UK is a service sector country, yeah. makes a difference. Then the other thing is the UK and South Korea prior to the pandemic, used to compete for number one online retail sales. So we already had the infrastructure in place for online retail sales, because prior to the pandemic, about 20% of non-fuel sales were, were online in the UK. Oh, was that was that the UK was just an early, early adapter on online retail? Is that just a cultural I, thing? I think it's, it's a mix of things. I think some of it is cultural. I think partly as well, it's the fact that we are you know, a very densely populated island. I mean, South Korea, also very densely populated, which meant that, you know, I mean, I'm in the middle of the English countryside and I've got five major cities within half an hour's drive. And so if I want goods delivered within 24 or 48 hours, not a problem. So if I'm ordering online, the delivery is then very efficient. You don't get the instant gratification. So I think think that's a, a key part of it. But what that meant, of course, is that every UK retailer has a website and they've got the payment system and they've got the relationship with the delivery companies. And so, you know, my brother is a, is a retailer here. He um, uh, sells disco equipment and, and sound systems, different career paths. Much- and- <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk about the Donovan family having a chat about how the weekend was. How was your, how, how are the disco balls selling? That's what I want to say. How are disco balls selling? You know, because lockdown here, <laughs> Many, many people, I tell you, we have, we have forgot John of a mutual friend who tries to train us, tries to keep us in shape, which is a pathetic, uh, well, we're a pathetic response, He's a, but, but he, he was definitely, he was having all sorts of uh, fun in his kitchen. With, yeah, with, yeah, with, with his, 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 his whole decks. setup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So your brother was selling decks to lots of people, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he did a roaring trade during the he pandemic. Did, he had a great absolutely pandemic. Roaring. He had a good pandemic. He had a great pandemic. But of course... He closed his showroom actually two weeks before the official lockdown began and said, no, we're only doing online. But because he'd already got all of that infrastructure, it was just perfectly simple for him to do. And so what that's meant is that the UK does have a certain amount of right. resilience to it. And it's, and it's done pretty well. I mean, I'm last to claim that it's perfect. And obviously, we've, you know, we've had a very high infection rate and fear levels were high for a period. But actually, overall, it's, it's done very well. We do, however, have these regional frictions. So we are a net uh, tourism importer. More Brits go overseas than, than foreigners come here. But the foreigners, when they do come here, tend to be concentrated in places like London. Yep. So the London tourism industry is really suffering and has been doing so, whereas you know, areas outside of London, which are perhaps less tourism dependent, are doing better overall. So you know, there's, there's some regional differences coming through as well. And just lastly, before we go, Paul, I mean, it's a big question, but, you know, the pandemic lifts, hopefully the inoculations work across the board, they're rolled out, the Delta variant peaks and then begins to uh, display the same sort of mechanics as most of these crowd diseases do. What do you think is the big or two or three big takeaways in the global economy of the pandemic? You know, a lot of people say, if you look at the 20s, there's a roaring 20s, there's lots of good stories being told. 
Mm. When you're looking at what, what do you feel would be the biggest consequence? So I think there are there are two. So the first, as we've already discussed and, and we discussed last time, I think the structural changes of the economy that would have evolved gradually over the next five years, they're accelerated. Good and bad news in that. The good news is that actually this does make us more efficient and, and it's, it's in the long term, it's a healthy thing. The bad news is it's very disruptive and it can create antisocial trends, prejudice, et cetera, discrimination. So there, there are worries there. But that accelerated process of structural change... So, so just, so just, just before one. we go, the, the, the structural change is the ability to work from home. It's this the serviceization of the economy. It is the depletion of manufacturing. Online retail. All these sort of things. So because so disruption, as, as we all know, if you're, if you're sitting with a good income, disruption's great because mm. typically it brings prices down. But if you're sitting with yep. a fragile income, disruption's really unpleasant because typically you're disrupted. You are the disruption. So you're saying yeah. socially we're in, we're, we could be in for some sort of friction and challenge and politics changes, nationalism, nativism, all that stuff we're seeing keeps, yeah. stays here. Is that what you're saying? Stays here and probably gets worse, to be honest. Okay. Uh, and, and the speed means that you've got less time to react. So that's, that's the negative. There is, I think, a, the second point that I think has come out of the pandemic, which I think is possible counter to that and is a positive, is that there is now more acceptance that government has a role to play in society. You know, even in the United States, which has been very, very hostile, uh, and you still have problems in, you know, with hostilities government in certain areas, but there is an acceptance that government has a role to play in trying to rebalance yes. the economy. And there's more focus on the imbalances. So that, I think, is a help. I've got the, the good and bad news of accelerated change. Yeah. And then what I think is generally a positive, which is that there is an acceptance that government has some role to play. Debate how much, that's up to an individual society to decide. But there is more acceptance of the idea that in a period of upheaval, the government should perhaps step in. Interesting. So it's less like the 20s, more like the 30s, if we're going to go back for historical references. I would say yes. It's, it's elements of the 30s, elements perhaps of, of the, the 60s as well, in, in that sort of, uh, you know, it's not that the government's going to try and run everything about your life, but the government is going to try and smooth over yeah. some of the, the, the obstacles that are, are going to be coming to people's lives over the next few years. Fascinating stuff, Paul. Fascinating stuff. A tour de force, Paul. A tour de force <laughs> around the world. Listen, we'll talk to you very so- shortly. Listen, Paul, take care. Thanks very much indeed, David. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So in in a true American way, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, say it, take a deep dive, John. Take a deep dive. I want you to talk to me about the Instagram economy. I, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, great Talk to expression. me about that. So what he's saying is, like, I'm not on Instagram, right? Mm, no, me neither. But the, the rest of the world is on Instagram. And they what they do, take photos of themselves, yeah, of their food, yeah, of their new jeans, of their new runners, right? <laughs> yeah. Of their new everything, right? And they send it to the world, like, oh, I bought a new pair of runners. And they send it, right? So what he's saying is the Instagram economy, I love this idea, is the late phase economy. So what he's saying is the way recoveries happen, particularly after this particularly weird pandemic is people, as you said, have been sitting at home on the same old furniture for eight months yeah, looking yeah. at each other, right? Yeah. The first thing people are going to their stains st- are getting yeah, tilted up. <laughs> exactly. So they get new stuff, right? Yeah. New furniture. This is how we're spending, right? But then he says that what they call the white goods section. So new fridges, new this, that then bleeds into, if you will, the Instagram economy. So the next phase is you spend money on going out. I'm right. going out to the pub, taking photos of your mates in the pub yeah. on Instagram. After all those food. photos of the fridges. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is probably, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, absolutely. There's a niche market for you, John. Fridge photography by John Davis. <laughs> exactly. So he's, I think it's a really lovely expression, Instagram economy. It's that part of the economy that's fun yeah. that you spend. And he says, that then takes off. And what he's saying is, it's like a sugar rush. These things just boost the economy, and that's what we're seeing happening mm. right now. And you're seeing that happening in Ireland yeah, right now. Yeah, you know. And he, I, I just think Paul's got a really good take on the way in which the economy is a combination of what I would call almost agricultural economics, like levers pulling, right? Yeah. You know? But then what he's got this, it's got this lovely take on the way technology is changing, the way demography is changing, and the way different generations mm. are 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 spending money, are not spending money, as the case may be. And what I did find fascinating was his idea that, you know, again, the recovery in Asia is quite different because poorer Asians didn't get any welfare subsidies. Yes, so they're rebuilding yeah, their yeah. savings, you know, whereas richer Asians, you sort of the Hermes bag idea, are out spending yeah, yeah. a fortune. Yeah. I also thought his discussion on the UK was fascinating, that idea of the way the UK values education differently. Yes, wasn't it? Yeah. And the way the UK is a services economy. And I think he put it, it's much easier to, for someone like him to work, you know, writing yeah. newsletters and la, yeah. la, la. He said, it's quite hard to put a BMW together in your front garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that the UK is ahead because of the nature, you know, as always with Paul, fascinating stuff. I think what we will see, if you think of the last time the world had this big pandemic, the Spanish flu, and then it gave way to the 1920s. Yeah. The 1920s was an exceptionally interesting period. But he was saying it was more like the 30s. He was saying it's more like the 30s. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is that in terms of innovation, in terms of change in the way people live, 
the 1920s was probably the most disruptive decade. I mean, even, even in art, you had Joyce, even you had Picasso. Think about yeah. everybody was going on. You yeah, had yeah, Freud, yeah. you had Einstein. All these amazing people were actually at the peak of their powers in the 1920s. So they built up this portfolio of work through the hundreds uh, and the teens. And, you know, the fascinating thing about the legacy of the pandemic, I'll leave it this, is that James Joyce wrote Ulysses during the Spanish flu. It's never mentioned, right? There's no reference to it in art. There's right. no reference to it in anything. It's as if the world forgot about it. Because if you look for references from the biggest killer... That's interesting, yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. So it's as if... The world 100 years ago blanked it out. And maybe we will blank it out too. Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.